What's up, Moto Buddies? Mike here from Taco Moto Co. Who are we? We make and sell the ultimate products to perfect out your Austrian dual sport motorcycle, um, a KTM EXC, EXCF, XCFW, Husqvarna FE, and FES. And soon we'll be developing uh, some, some products and components for the Honda CRF 450L, RL, and X bikes. Uh, we build out bikes for our clients and friends from Sunday Trail Specials all the way up to fully equipped global slayers like what RTW Paul is riding on as he uh, travels around the world on an EXC 500. In late 21, we'll be rolling out a full-service suspension shop as well as a motor program, full rebuilds, blueprinting, balancing, getting rid of the motor buzz and the big board KTM thumpers, top-end valve grindings, uh, the works. Uh, we want to extend, ultimately, what we're after is to extend your ride day uh, and your endurance and your stamina and be able to keep you on the bike for more riding years. We've got a bunch of 70-year-old riders out there who, with our help, Hopefully, we'll be riding well into their 90s. Taco Motico, find us on the spe- on the, out on all the socials. Uh, go out and get some adventure. This week, we have Chris Real, but later on in the video, talking about the recent fuel boiling issues. Also, we talk about gearing, two-stroke power valve tuning, pushing buttons and getting but- buttons pushed. So, this show is worth a listen. So live from Pahrump, the Valley of the Dirt People, where Logan lives, and I live, and Mojave Bob lives, uh, we are doing Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. This is your show where we talk about motorcycle and motorcycle-related products, uh, specifically dirt bike stuff, and um, answer your questions. So we're going to go right to the questions that pop up in the chat room right after Logan does his most important job besides uh, talking when I get thirsty. What's that, Logan? Um, You're reading what? The KTM. Read? Read. Add? Add. Yeah. Okay. You ready? You, You see, the guy did it last week. I just handed it to him, and he did a really good job. So... You know, he put some spunk into it, you know. Sound like he was excited to say it. Powered by a distinct ready-to-race mentality, KTM is the world's leading high-performance street and off-road sport motorcycle manufacturer with North America headquarters in Marietta, California. Over the years, KTM has built a reputation as a fierce competitor on the racetracks around the world. And the brand's remarkable global success is reflected in every product it develops and every move it makes. That's right. That was good. Way better than the first time. You almost have it memorized now, don't you? Yeah. Do you like wake up in the morning kind of saying that? <laughs> Not yet? Not yet. Yeah. You do ride a KTM though. Yes. Um, sometimes I ride a KTM. Lately I haven't been. I don't have my bikes. Well, they're all over the place, but I left my rally bikes up in uh idaho uh and uh i rode a ktm back here though so um uh Tarek saba says jimmy let's talk about the fall of suzuki and where they go from here uh <laughs> uh they're still making bikes um they actually make some pretty good ones uh, they've let some of the the really competitive stuff slip a little bit uh, behind in the off-road uh, segment, but 
I mean, I still see a lot of DRZs out there, 400s and DRZ 650s cruising around. Um, V-Stroms, they're still pushing the V-Strom a little bit. Uh, I don't know. You used to be a Suzuki dealership, <laughs> so uh, you might know a little bit more about it. Your your Suzuki dealership, I think, is now a Ducati dealership over there, the one out in uh, on uh, Newport Boulevard. So, yeah, I I you know it's crazy times. Uh, I don't know, you know, when you start looking at like in the United States, people don't use it, motorcycles. Not a necessity; it's a recreation. And when we have these kind of big bumps in the economy and it's happened over and over again, you know, brands that build recreation equipment kind of get, kind of get slumped, but that's sure not what's happening right now, at least not in the U S I mean, dirt bikes sales are, I mean, try to find a mini bike right now. Try to find a, try to find an off-road bike. Uh, they're, they're gone. And, and, but yet what I've been told is the manufacturers have to look out for their like worldwide you know, market that may just come to a screeching halt. <laughs> so for a, a lot of it, so um, man, enjoy it while it lasts. I don't, I don't, um, I don't know if the, if Suzuki's, uh, I, 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 they're maybe just not at the, the highest form of competition, but some of the you know, the prices on some of the bikes that they had, all those all those older RMZs are probably gone now, right? Yeah, at, at the too. at the prices they were selling them at. And I know Kawasaki just announced some new bikes uh, yesterday. Uh, the interesting one is definitely the uh, KX250XC and the KX450XC. Those are the two interesting bikes, which are their um, stab at the, you know, kind of the, the off-road racing market, um, which is kind of a long time coming. But um, those, uh, but I think with, the announcement, especially of the KX250, the all-new KX250 motocross bike, and then the XC, and I know they were sitting on a lot of the last year's KX250Fs. Those are probably going to be pretty heavily discounted as well, I would suspect. So, um, Michael Barrett says the Husaberg 570 is an excellent bike. Well, <laughs> you don't have to say that around me. Yeah. Uh, actually, I know how long he's been trying to bargain to get the one that he got his hands on. Um, he had a friend that had a really cherry one, and the the guy was like, just didn't really think he should get rid of it. Lucky he didn't listen to this podcast because the price probably would have gone up. Uh, but, um, yeah, I agree with that. Um, let's see. Jason Abbott and Jonathan Levy just joined. Jason used to be Honda's press guy. Man, I miss you. <laughs> It's, it was uh, <laughs> it was a good run over there. Um, Rodrigo Lopes says, Jimmy, have you ever played with your 2020 KTM 300 XCW TPI power valve? Logan, what do you think? What's the answer to that question? Yes. Yes. You've seen me do it. I think so. Yeah. Yes, I've played with it a lot. Um, uh, unlike the carbureted versions uh, and the fuel injected ones, KTM kind of tells you not to play with the power valve. They actually put a, a dab of uh, that yellow um, paint on it. So you can see where it was indexed at and kind of maybe, so you don't maybe don't move it kind of like sometimes they put them on, on axles or swing arm pivots and stuff. So you can tell if it's moved. Uh, but if you want to change the power characteristic of that bike, that is the, 
I'm going to call it the first and second most effective thing you can do. And the reason I'm saying first and second is I suspect the reason KTM doesn't want you to play with it is if you turn it too far, you can get the bike to perform poorly and even detonate really bad because if you turn it one direction and forgive me for not remembering which is which at the moment, because it's always a little bit backwards to me, but if you do turn it, so you hold the power valve down longer right. and then you turn, that's turning it right. I, think, yeah. I got Al, who's a KTM 300 expert in here. Tight. Well, so, t but I, I don't know if that spring is a counter. You know what I mean? The spring they used to be, as I've seen so many different power valve configurations and stuff. I don't remember what it is. Sometimes I think the spring might be a preload against another spring. That's yeah, yeah. So it's it's so it's the opposite. So sometimes when you when you when you tighten it up, it actually makes it open up quicker. And this is why this is why don't get hung up on what I'm telling you. Turn it a half turn one way. Try it. Turn it back a full turn. So you go a half turn the other way and try it and see how it how it reacts just like clickers you know some people go well my suspension's too soft and i go well give it three clicks of compression stiffer and they're like what i'm like stiffen it up and they're like no i know i want it softer and i go stiffen it up and they stiffen it up and it makes the bike ride softer because it holds it up in the stroke i when i would watch that person i would say the suspension's packing down you know or it's mm -hmm. it's riding low in the stroke and having a you know so anyways back to the power valve well i don't know exactly which way it is but one way or the other but if and here, here's where here's where it can go bad, and and I and I have seen it happen just based on detonation, not on a TPI bike, but on a carbureted one. If you turn it to the way that holds the power valve down longer, that builds up a lot of extra heat inside of the engine because the exhaust gases, the power valve, the the exhaust port is theoretically lower, and it takes longer for the gases to be able to escape. They spend more time in the combustion chamber; it heats up the engine more, and then you start can you can start having uh, detonation. So, uh, so the reason I said in conjunction with get a fuel tuner. Uh, there's lots of different options for fuel tuners. I have some of my uh, favorite ones. Uh, there's other ones I'd like to try. There's Complete ECUs, but that's maybe going overboard at this point. Um, I think you can get away with a, a quarter turn either direction without even worrying about it. When you start going a half turn, you could go half turn or so, and then and then the performance starts falling off. And 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 this is in either direction. And the reason is is because the jetting isn't perfect any longer. It's not exactly the way that they have expected it to run. So when you turn the power valve and you, you either add or take away fuel and you can do it in different ranges because the power valve opens at a certain time and you can adjust these things. And when I had the 2020, I also had a 2019 that I had set up and George, who's in our, in our chat room right now, can vouch for how his bike runs, uh, which is it's been tuned in conjunction power valve tuning and fuel tuner. And it was like, it, it's Definitely different than stock, and it's maybe not as flat as the stock bike. Mine had a little bit more, a little bit more pickup, but maybe a little bit later, um, it 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 torqued a little bit longer. And I think what I did, uh, if I'm uh, guessing, I think I held the power valve down a little bit longer, which is what you have to be careful of. Of, but I also added a little bit more fuel, made it run a little richer, so that it it didn't 
get as lean or hot. And so some of the some of the little bit of the detonation that you hear sort of went away. But it's all personal. Uh, so that is um, yes. The short answer is yes. You can adjust your power valve. I play with it. yes. It's between those two things. It's like buying seven hundred and thirty three different pipe and silencer combinations. Exactly. <laughs> so um, before I would do the pipe and silencer because if you start doing the muffler and the p- pipe, you're going to want to do some of the fueling changes too, and then you can tune the power valve to work even better with the pipe. And I was running a an FMF. Actually, it was a a prototype of an FMF pipe that I think they may or may not be producing right now. I don't know, but I smashed it to bits and George kept it. So because um, the bike still ran pretty good. Um, hopefully that works. Uh, Robert Miller, Jimmy, you're spot on down here in Australia. Honda mini bikes have become super rare. Um, do they work when they're upside down? That's what I always wonder about Australia. Um, and you know, really it's funny to tell tell you, to, to tell you a story about like, you know, I used to have hair and then I went to Australia and I think my head got confused and the hair started growing inside. It went the wrong the wrong way and it went right down out of my head and started coming out of my back and some other places. So, yeah, Spencer Bloomer. I know Spencer. He's my roommate back in the 1960s, right? <laughs> uh, no, it was back when we were we, when I was trying to afford a house in Orange County, California. There is hope now that Suzuki has a new president. Uh, things hopefully will change. And Spencer may or may not have some inside information considering there's a, he might work for JGR uh, Suzuki. Uh, so he's on the inside, and if and that sounds good. Um, uh, Jason Abbott. Oh, here we go. I don't see much off-road on the new Cowies. Where's the handguard skid plate and big tank? Well, uh, you didn't read the press release very well, Jason. Because <laughs> <laughs> what does it have? What Of those three things, Logan, what does it have? Big tank. No, it doesn't. What? You didn't read it either? Do you no. even read dirt bike test? You can't answer that question? You taking the fifth? <laughs> It it it's which one of those things? Take second guess, second try. What does it have? What does the cow we have? He's looking at him, the kid go, going straight to searching. Where where did it go? Um. Out of those three things, what does the new? We should we should I should have. Oh, you know what we had at the last show? We had we had the drops buttons. We had the buttons because so somebody put it on his phone and put it up through the speakers, and he could push the button and it would say funny things. That's like something good, you know, real radio shows and stuff have. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to break it to you. It has a skid plate. Yeah. So the KX450 actually has a skid plate in the center, but on the, on the XC, they've added these kind of side pods to it. They're probably in the real off-road world, uh, are more, a little bit more like decorations. Like a real guy would probably put something a little bit more substantial on it, but you are definitely correct about the, the way that Kawasaki went about those bikes. And they kind of made it, they kind of made it simple because Inside the engine, there's no transmission changes, which Yamaha is one of the few companies that goes to the effort of doing that in the, quote, XC line. Like, KTM generally keeps the ratios the same SX to XC, and they do it because they feel it's the best, because they have the opportunity to change it to, like, EXC or to mix and match, but it's it's they feel like that the guys that are racing those bikes don't really need that 
any sort of a different wider spread. Um, uh, and uh, Kawasaki didn't really explain why they did. But the other aspect of keeping the thing, the, the, the transmission ratio is the same is cost. Costa. Costa. Yeah, cost. Because you just keep running those motors down the assembly line and you don't make any changes and it's just another unit you're selling that didn't cost any more to manipulate. But what Kawasaki did do was kickstand, which um, I think on the KX might have been difficult for someone to do other than aftermarket, you know, because they have they have a foot peg bracket that in, in, integrates it in. And then you can still move your foot peg position, which you can on the Kawasaki. I didn't really look at it that close, uh, but... They did 18-inch rear wheel, which is a little bit spendy. They put different springs, spring rates on the suspension, and they said that means the suspension is altered, but I've been told that the valving internally is exactly the same, and there's no big gas tank. So, And that's kind of another thing that um, Yamaha on some, of their, on some of their bikes does. KTM uh, does it with the XCs. They put the bigger tank, and so it's it's just kind of a mix or match based on uh what each manufacturer feels is important and you know what they can get away with and then kawasaki didn't even change they don't have a different ecu or program which a lot of other manufacturers do they just supply it with the black plug in place one thing uh that you can do in a kawasaki is they do have a handheld tuner and you can you could basically make any map you wanted and put it into the bike, which is a pretty good thing to do. So, I would suspect if you can find somebody that has one of those, you could make that bike into whatever you uh, really want to know. And then uh, Chris, which always piping in, Chris Real piping in with really good info, says the tank big tank subject might be a bit more regulatory complex. Uh, then new models new models want to address for a little while, and that's uh, evaporative emissions. So, um, to, you know, to, for in order for bikes to have bigger tanks and things, uh, I mean, you could just put one on and still sell it as a race bike. But uh, if they go to any other form, uh, having a a big tank is uh, a little tricky. So, uh, George wants to know if we did the flat track um, south of the equator. <laughs> what i didn't get that one uh jeffrey you went you you're smarter than logan jeffrey uh and i can't you got to pronounce his name Did you see his name wow wow tall it's almost like mashu washugal the small skid plate doesn't count <laughs> um robert miller says jimmy what's the latest on dakar 21 Location going ahead or not? Um, it's going to be it's going to be in Saudi Arabia. Uh, they were thinking about going into other countries. Uh, I think they had a press conference not too long ago, and I think because of all the the, the COVID stuff, they decided to just kind of scale back and uh, not go out to other countries. But I don't. I'm not 100 percent sure on that. And as of right now, everybody suspects that it is a go. I mean, they're 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 planning on it. Um. I'm going to go suffer because of that tomorrow. <laughs> so, rally training. Um, uh, in 100 and – how high is it going to be at Baker, California? Is it well, – how big is it? How, what's that big thermometer going to read? Because that's, 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 that's where you go ride, I guess, if you want to win Dakar. You just you – don't, you don't kid around in this like 80 or 70-degree weather or something someplace nice. No, you 
you want to go ride when it's a million. Uh, and then you take your guy that tells you you did it wrong with you, and then he just suffers the whole time. What does Robert Mueller want to know from me? Um, uh, Jimmy, from a mechanical perspective, how difficult is it to make a gearbox that can be swapped out by just buying optional wide ratio gears? Honda did this to the 90s with the CR250 and 500 optional wide ratio third, fourth, and fifth. So it's it's not that it's not that difficult um, if you know how to split cases and you know which parts to buy and you know where to put them back on the transmission shafts. But for most people, that's pretty difficult. <laughs> so um, when Honda did it, they were putting a six speed into a f- no no they 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 were just making a wide ratio five speed I think on the CRs actually Grant Plansky I saw him pop up on the on the uh, forum and he had one of those bikes and I, I was not changing. Um, I was riding a KTM back then that had wide ratio six speed transmissions in them. So my bikes came stock with the, uh, the right thing. That's why KTM says, uh, what are they, what, what's their slogan, Logan? Ready to race. Right. My KTM was ready to race right past grants. However many speeds he had in his Honda, um, popping a wheelie. And my bike was by the way, at one twenty five, and his was a 250 and it would pop a wheelie right past him um yeah question the, the honda of italy made the white ratio five speed for as an enduro bike and street bike in in europe right honda didn't didn't import it and uh it, no there was there was a ways you Alan could Roach there was the, the, yeah the, the there was companies that that were able to get those imported and stuff it, i don't think it was a specifically a honda one um we have a story up in dirtbiketest.com that you can see about putting a six speed into a KTM 450 XC, uh, XCF. Um, and that's what, uh, that's what burns the tire off the back of your KTM 450 XCF. If you don't stop at a pit and take 20 seconds to change a wheel to save about three minutes and, uh, you know, possibly save some crashes, but that's a longer story for a better time. Uh, (laughs) but there's, um, there's, there's options do it. Uh, KTM has all these different gears and their transmissions are very similar among bikes. And when you have a 500 EXC and a 450 SX, there's ways you can kind of combine those same with um, even some of the smaller bikes I've heard. And if you're really crazy, you can get gears made, (laughs) you know, you can have, you know, a lot of the, a lot of the race teams have very interesting transmissions inside of their bikes. And so um, it's, uh, it's just, how much effort do you want to put in it? How much, and how much do you really need that? And as much as I complain about it all the time, I often think I'm always wondering to myself, how much am I riding below the speed where my transmission works? And how much am I riding above the speed where my transmission works? And I mean, we have a pretty wide range of riding out here. And a lot of times we're riding on dirt roads to get to the really good riding, which is lower than first gear. And we want to go faster than fifth or sixth. We did that yesterday riding a YZ125 and a WR250F to get up to the mountains. How come you didn't go? You're giving me a funny look. Oh. um. You had a hot date? No. 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 Had to work? No. We, no. 
spend some time at my grandparents. Oh, okay. And then looked at a trailer. That's a good excuse. You weren't playing like uh, you weren't watching cartoons. No. No cartoons. Okay. Uh, yes, Bob. Uh, we had to push Dave Chase and the CR125 year to go 90 out of the pits because it wouldn't pull over here. Well, Dave Chase was kind of on the on the portlier side. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, but yeah, because yeah, the transmission wouldn't handle it. That's why I raced a KTM 125 that had six speed transmission in it and it hauled ass. <laughs> so, um, let's see. Hey, a couple other companies I got. What other companies should I thank, Logan? Um, Climb. Right. Recluse. Right. And maybe more. Maybe. DDC? Yeah, a little bit, but mostly Climb. Yeah. Yeah, Climb has supported dirt bike tests since the very beginning of uh, dirt bike tests. Since uh, the very beginning of this uh, uh, show, whatever we call it, a podcast, a show. And uh, they make good gear, and I'm going to be wearing Climb gear tomorrow, vented gear. And I'm going to be comfortable, as comfortable as I can possibly be. Um. There's one other question there that Robert Miller asked. Uh, from a man- mechanical – no, no. what was the other one? Uh, My gearbox. Was there another one about a gearbox? Yeah. Was it Was it the one that Cody Joseph asked? No, it's right above Cody Joseph. Oh, it is? I can't see that one. See, that's that's the way that the, the, the questions here work. <laughs> uh, okay, what's that one? What's about my gearbox? Um, my gearbox? My gearbox comment was how – how around hard would it would it be to for a Kawasaki to make a WR gear set for the new KX two fifty XC and four fifty XC? That would specify a wide range of buyers. Granted, you need to split cases by making the a WR third, fourth, and fifth. I'd I'd Here. I'd say it's about a three to four hundred dollar per unit question. I'm guessing, <laughs> you know, if if they were, I mean, so when a manufacturer is designing and developing these bikes, and they they literally it goes right down to okay, what's it going to cost? How long are we going to have these things for? You know, are do we need to have future improvements for this current model? And and there's lots of things like that that will determine. You, you know what they what they put inside of it. If they see this thing as this bike having a really long run and nothing changing, maybe they'll invest in having the gear sets. You know, the, the, a different gear set inside of it. I actually it's funny because they they did this total redesign of the KX two fifty F head, and I was going to give a really good close look to see if there was anything inside of that. Um, because there was a, there was a little there was some casting embossments in it i'm going are are they going to go down the route of like ktm where they start you know using these motors for multiple purposes they also put a reed valve inside of the inside of the bottom end to kind of control the the breathing which sometimes can help with you know oil spray and different things but you know is is there a future for a, a kx xc and then some sort of a you know, a dual sport bike or emissions compliant bikes a little bit farther out there in the future. You just never know. I mean, what they're planning, but so it just comes down to cost. You know, when when someone's going to put this this transmission inside of it. And, you know, like on Hondas, Hondas on their RX models, they have the motocross transmission. They change the final drive ratio, and so it's 
it gets the job done uh, for the most part. But um, he says, uh, Cody Joseph says, the only current KTM that has the XS trance is the 450 XCF. The 250-350 XCF and 250-300 XC have a semi-wide ratio six-speed. Uh, that is correct. So big miss by Honda and Kyle, in my opinion, um, to use the close ratio five-speed for cross-country. I I tend to agree with you. Um, yeah, the 250-350XCF, it's funny because they call it semi-wide, and I'd have to go and check because there was a couple years when they were the same, and I and and I'm I would I have to check I have to I have to go back. There's so many different transmissions and bikes in my head. I'm trying to remember because um, they said that the the XCW and the XC for the two strokes were the same motors, which kind of makes sense. And the XCW, the W kind of used to stand for wide ratio. And I'm pretty sure that the transmission ratios were the same when I raced it up in Washington. That was the last time I was on an XC, so I don't really know. And then uh, somebody else was uh, mentioning about the uh, Italian Honda CRE wide ratio. So pretty good. Uh, Janie is back at the uh, back at the office per se at the Romero's, so she's not here. Uh, she says, "Happy Tech Talk Taco Tuesday, y'all." Um, What's up, Moto buddies? Mike here from Taco Moto Co. What is the Taco Touch? It's the best service in the industry. Virtually twenty four seven tech support via email or text, and it's like having a dirt bike doctor on call every day of the year, helping you fix your bike or recommend parts or setups for you. If you've ever received an order from us, you know that the Taco Touch extends to our fulfillment and our orders come with the coolest stickers that you've ever had, uh, buying parts from anybody before and a handful of root beer barrel candies. Um, all of our Taco Moto Co. branded components come with a no questions asked lifetime warranty, and we'll even extend out the warranty of other manufacturers, OEM, and aftermarket parts where we can, sometimes for life. We test and tune endlessly and exhaustively and obsessively. We're trying to destroy everything that we can before you get your hands on it to look for weaknesses and to improve it or to make recommendations to the manufacturer. And if it's something that doesn't uh, meet grade, then we don't offer it on the store. Everything that we carry is something that we have personally used, tested, and ridden, and raced, and knows meets uh, the high taco touch demanding standard. Go out and get some adventure. Robert Miller, my gearbox comment was how was that the one we were talking about? Oh, I think so. I thought I thought you said somebody named my gearbox made a comment. Oh, <laughs> it's okay if it, if it were YouTube's or something like that, we would have a my gearbox following us and then probably telling us we don't know what we're talking about. <laughs> so, uh, cool thing a lot of guys don't know about the YZ250X says Cody Joseph is that you can put in the WR400 or 426. F first and second gear if you want a super low enduro gearing. Three to five are already identical between 250X and old 426. Cody, that's an awesome uh, bit of info. Um, so you get a you get a super low first and second for like gnarly trail riding, and then the rest of the gear. So you'd have a big two to three gap, I suspect. I don't know. And and that's another thing when you're talking about transmission races. When we all start talking about like all these transmission ratios, 
there's a lot of riders that are really picky about having a gap in the gears. You know, if it's first to second or second to third, uh, first to second isn't too bad for most people. But if you put a second to third gap in a transmission, um, and especially heavier riders that, you know, that require more power, you feel that and it, you have to gear the whole bike around that. And then some of your other gaps aren't right. And, um, so it's it's a it's a little bit trickier than it than it seems, and uh, boy, it's a lot of work if you <laughs> go inside your transmission, build your what's your ideal gear set, take it out on the on the trail and ride it, and all of a sudden it doesn't work. So um, lots of uh, lots of gearing talking. I got to write the note down to make sure that we uh, talk about that gearing. And then there's there's also final drive gearing. You know, if the whole bike is overall a little bit, the ratios are a little bit too low you can you know change it make it make it higher higher gearing and then you're asking somebody like i get confused when are we talking about higher gearing does higher gearing mean the bike goes slower yes and does lower gearing mean it goes faster yes because you're pulling a bigger sprocket um it's pulling a smaller sprocket that's making the bike go faster per the amount of engine rpms it gets kind of confusing and all that and a couple other things about gearing uh, gearing can change the way your suspension works, believe it or not, by how you're lifting the the chain off, you know, off the the chain wear pads and changing kind of the angle of the chain a little bit. Uh, I know on really high level race tuning that that's they're they're pretty particular about it. When you change the gearing, sometimes you change your wheelbase, you know, based on your wheel getting a little bit you know farther back in the swing arm, uh, based on your gearing choices. And so I've actually seen guys dink with the ratios. So they're actually getting the similar final drive by changing, you know, going up one tooth on the front and down two on the rear or vice versa, going down one on the front and, and, uh, you know, so they're, they're making the ratios. I just got confused. Did you get confused, Logan? Oh, I was reading the comments. You're reading the comments. Are there any good ones? Um, Cody Joseph just gave another good comment. More. Okay, good. We'll get to that one. Uh, and then on the on the other thing about gearing is um, when you you know when you do go to a bigger rear sprocket it puts your gears closer together so a lot of times if you're really riding in you know second third fourth gear it makes it so you can ride in second or fourth where if you go to a smaller sprocket you can only ride in second and third and not fourth or third and fourth and if you downshifted a second it would be too much so there's a it's it's a it's a tuning option, definitely a tuning option if you're into doing that level of uh, tuning. What has Cody got now? Um, the XC and XCW is the same th three through six. First and second are taller on the XC, ten percent taller first and four percent taller second on the XC. A lot of guys say it cures the second to third. Yeah. Okay, so he's talking about the KTM's. Well, Cody, you got to come in and be a co-host in this show. You're <laughs> chock full of information. <laughs> he's one of those guys that remembers the numbers, I guess. Let's see, XC and XCW are the same three through six. First and second are taller on the XC. Oh boy, that I, I'm just trying to remember um, what they said, and that makes perfect sense. Um, let's see. First, and, and a lot of guys say it cures a second to third gap, and they're feeling the gap on the XCW. I suspect. See, I don't, I don't feel that 
on, especially on the 300. Um, I didn't really, I didn't think it was a, an issue, but I can see that where it was. Uh, and then we guys just saw the whole thing jump up. And then he, he had a, he had a good question about the, or he, he put in some more information about the, uh, about the Yamaha too, didn't he? Yes. Okay. What's that one? Uh, you are right on the YZ. The WR first and second did put a gap between second and third for sure. Yeah. So cool. Uh, and Tarek won't get off his Suzuki thing. Off topic. At least he acknowledges that. The RG500 Gamma has a cassette style transmission that you can change in 15 minutes. You, <laughs> you know that 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 is a cool feature and. Actually, didn't Cannondales have that too? Um, the didn't yes, so did the, the Husky yeah. Autos used to? Yeah, the you will because you had to change everything in the Husky Auto every once in a while. Uh, by the way, this is a Swedish Husqvarna way back when when they were making a three-speed automatic transmission that uh, four four and then three four well because four broke all the time. Well, it was better, but it didn't last very long, right? Right. Yeah, and then they were making with. Basically, they put a bunch of Honda 50 clutches in series, <laughs> right? Not, not that simple. Not that simple, but that's basically what it was. Uh, yeah, so, um, yeah, I think I think, I think think Cannondale had a cassette-style transmission, and then there was, there was a few other bikes that had uh, that, but it's, you know, for most people, that's way overkill and a lot of expense and stuff like that. What does Robert Miller want to know? You ready with that one? You're you're staring at old vintage bikes again, aren't you? Yeah. The book. Where where's it? Do you remember who get, who got us that book? No. Mm-mm. We went fast. Oh. We went fast. Follow at we went fast on the uh, on the social medias. Logan's infatuated with that. He do. You, did you sell all your vintage bikes? No. You, no one. Two left, two left to sell. Two left, yeah. So yeah, you're gonna have, you can start collecting those when they're really expensive, Logan. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Robert Miller says. Jimmy, can you explain the changes KTM made to their 500 EXC gearing from 2017 onwards? I read something where they changed the ratio of fourth or fifth. So um, what I'm pretty sure they did is basically the KTM's used to be geared to pass the sound test and they are still geared to pass the sound test they have to so there's a certain rpm at a drive-by speed and there's it's a whole bunch of stuff chris real could tell you exactly about it i mean exactly about it but we won't get into that so what ktm did was because they were coming with like a 15 tooth countershaft and a 47 or 48 rear i don't remember which one it was or 45 rear it was a really short chain and even if you wanted to go down to a 13 countershaft, you could barely get a 48 sprocket on with a stock chain. It'd have it all the way up there. And they wanted to make it so that the, 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 the sprockets on the bike were usable and the gear racers were usable. So they actually kind of redid everything. And they, I think they nailed it. I mean, they, now it comes, I think, 1450 or 1448 or somewhere yeah, in there. 14, might be 1451. I don't know. It's different between 500 and 350. But... Maybe it isn't, but it's around that. And now the ratios, they've got the ratios inside the transmission to work with that um, final drive set and the bike 
manages to pass and do whatever it has to do at the sound test, uh, et cetera, et cetera. That is the big change. I don't know if they changed inter- changed it much internally. I know they did some stuff, you know, shifting the power around and the RPMs and, you know, using that reed valve to quiet things down. There's a lot of stuff that went on that it all works together. It's a package. Uh, but that is the, uh, the basic change um, uh, between the uh, going from the, the 17. If you just take your 2017 or, or newer and put... 1450 on it which is what i run on all of mine you're going to be fine uh, and then you can change the axle block around on the back and you can switch to a 48 or a 52 depending on which direction you want to go uh lots of uh lots of options there so and this is the gearing show isn't it yeah because the gearheads. yeah 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 uh and spencer chimes in also, all of the race teams have different clutch basket gears to get the preferred final driveway so while maintaining the bike length. So there's a whole other level of factory tuning that oftentimes people don't even, you know, consider or think about it. I mean, it, when you, it's funny because when you look at a, you know, when you see a factory bike, you look at it and you're looking at the graphics and the, the factory suspension pieces and all the coatings and colors and stuff like that. There are so many little teeny tiny tweaks to those bikes that make them so unique and different. And it's all kind of just trying to make the rider, you know, the rider happy. Um, so when a, I, I love it when a factory rider complains about his bike because it's his fault. <laughs> it's like you're not a... You didn't test it very much. Um, yeah, you just ride a lot more. Uh, Cody Joseph, you just ride a lot more bikes than I do. It's easy to remember the numbers when you only own these two bikes. So I'm just guessing because Cody didn't tell me. I'm guessing K- Cody owns a KTM either XC or XCW, 300 or 250, and some sort of Yamaha WR FX YZ. And he used to own a 426. Yeah, maybe he had a 426, <laughs> something like that. Uh, yeah, we, you know, you just, there's a lot of, uh, options out there. Um, Hey, uh, you know, you know, what it connects your, uh, your gearing to your engine, Logan. Like there's the part that makes the power. Yes. That's the piston and the crank and all that stuff. Yeah. And then on the backside, there's gears and yeah. the chain sprocket and stuff. What's in between that? What what separates those two? Between the the power producing part of the motor, yes, and then the drive part of the motor. Everybody's giving them signals around out here. It's like they're flashing gang symbols at Logan. Come on, this isn't that technical of a question. It's the thing you slip. Oh, clutch. Right. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. You know. You know how you can not have to think about it, kind of like you don't. Oh, recluse. Recluse, yeah. I'm not yeah. recluse. If you put a recluse clutch in your bike, you don't have to think about the clutch anymore. It does all the work for you. Yes. They make it easier to ride, right? They're for old old people or just easier to ride? I liked it. Okay, good. I like them too. I have them in most of my bikes. <laughs> so uh, you can go to recluse.com if you want to uh, solve your stalling and your... I, I've always said that almost everybody I put on technical trail rides, they go up a skill level once they go on a recluse. And the only person, the people that I've met that don't like recluses, recluse clutches, which is almost everybody, are people that really haven't tried them or given them a chance. Right, Al? Yep. 
<laughs> Al raises his hand. He's 97 years old, still riding, and he's not going to change. <laughs> uh, uh, it's not lazy enough for a recluse? This is the guy that gets off and says, Jimmy, how many push-ups are we doing today? Yeah, it's challenging me to push-up contests. I'm getting back. I'm getting back. I'm getting back. Uh, okay, and George is stirring the pot. He says, will 500cc two-strokes make a comeback because my 300 just doesn't have enough snap now that I put on 87 pounds during COVID? Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, no, you, you, the, your 300 doesn't have enough snap because your right wrist doesn't turn the throttle far enough. Uh, better traction that, is getting now. Yeah, you're getting better traction. It doesn't spin up as easily as it, as it used to. So that's that's uh, my answer to that. I had a couple. Um, we talked about a little bit about the new KX. Hey, do you want me to? Because, you know, our last show was super dedicated towards uh, adventure bikes. That's why you didn't listen. Because you're not you're not old enough to ride adventure bikes yet. Did you see the Honda Africa Twin out there? Uh, I think last time I was here, I did. No, it wasn't. It wasn't here. It's new. It's new. Did just 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 brought it over here. You know, I had I had quite possibly one of my top ten worst riding experiences on <laughs> on that bike. Everybody everybody says Jimmy, all you do is say good things. I'm gonna say I'm gonna say bad things right now, especially <laughs> since I'm talking to a certain manufacturer about. Uh, you know, doing some advertising and stuff. This is probably the best thing I can do for dirt bike test right now. But it, it has a, there's a moral of this story. So uh, I got the Africa Twin uh, last week right after the podcast we did. And I switched because uh, oh. Berm Can and Mark uh, uh, brought it over. And then, and then uh, I took it and brought it back out here. And so it is a very... Uh, technologically advanced motorcycle and in fact it has a small keyboard on the uh the right left grip and even the right grip has a lot of buttons on it compared to most it's got a lot of buttons on it and you're sitting there going well what do they do well i pretty much can i think and this is just me being me um I knew there was a lot of buttons. I knew there was a lot of modes. Everybody that's ridden it's kind of talked about it. I mean, there's like 18 different screens or modes you can use. And it and generally, the manufacturers are pretty good at finding like some preset ones that are okay. So I said, okay, I didn't, I down, I did, I downloaded the videos. I got the press videos that explained how all the buttons work. I downloaded them. I put them on my computer. I just didn't have the 30 or so minutes to watch the five or six videos. So I just hopped on the bike and I rode it. I managed to figure out how the cruise control worked because I just rode to Vegas on the on the on the highways, just going. I was just kind of trying to get there. Man, it it and it, and it's been a while since I rode a BMW that had cruise control on a motorcycle. It is phenomenal. I love it. it just it's just just like in your car. You know, when you when you get in there and use it, you can it just relaxes you. It does all the work for you. You can kind of set it at a speed. You're not going to get a ticket because my problem when I'm riding a street a motorcycle on the street. Is it's 75, 85, 95, and I look down, I'm like, oh, uh-oh. You know, and, I, and I'm just slowly, because I, I, I just want to accelerate. And, and so this kind of stops that, and I can just let the bike just ro- roll along and pay more attention to the sights, um, not crashing into the cars that are going too fast or too slow, whatever they're doing. Um, brilliant cruise control. And then on the way back, I decided, hey, I'm going to go back around the backside of the mountain, come over 
Mount Charleston, Wheeler Pass, you know, do some, do some off-road because that's what it's for. It was cool. It was at night. It was cooled off. I decided to do it. And I got on the dirt, and I put it onto off-road, you know, just set off-road mode. And there's traction control. There's wheelie control. There's power ad- adjustment. There's ABS, of course. There's... I, there's a lot of other features and the traction control just riddled me it was because it's fly by wire that's why the fuel inject that's why the uh, cruise control works so good it was like the, the little monkey that was turning the throttle inside the throttle body for me which was completely different what I, what I was doing with my wrist my, I wanted to kill the thing I, I, I literally I, I was I couldn't figure out so i'm like okay i'll start pushing buttons i can you know there was a user mode that that berm cannon market had set and i guarantee you that he does he went out and rode the bike and stuff he probably didn't go in i I was riding on pretty much a a jeep trail you need a real jeep on you need some four-wheel drive lots of loose rocks some pretty steep inclines and he probably didn't take an adventure bike on that it wouldn't have been very smart but you know here here i am and that monkey could not figure out how to turn the throttle because any time that I wanted a little snap of power, it sensed wheel spin and it cut it. And then and then I just start turning the throttle farther and farther wanted it to go. And every once in a while I'd say, I have traction. And that's right about the time that maybe I was falling over, losing my balance. I didn't crash, did a couple bad dabs. But, man, it, it – and, so I, and I, so I stopped 20 times, five to 20 times that I stopped and started pushing buttons and trying to figure out how to enter into a mode where I could, I got it to where I could change it. And, and, and so they had a mode called gravel and I tried that. I said, well, I'll try the gravel one. Cause these are, you know, it's gravel. I mean, granted they're the size of bowling balls, gravel, but you know, I'll, I'll use that didn't work. Um, so I tried, you know, user one, user two gravel touring urban, in fact, Urban, <laughs> believe it or not, Urban was had the best throttle response in the in the low traction situations and stuff. But I was just flustered, I, and I barely barely made it over something that I could very easily ride over on any number of other bikes that are not so um, mechanically assisted, <laughs> technologically assisted. So I came back home and, and was pissed. Then I then I went and watched the videos and I started learning how to turn things on and off and and it, it's like anything you have to go practice it and here's where here's where we get stilted as as you know journalists and media and people that ride lots and lots of different bikes it takes time to learn how to use where all those buttons are to get your when I ride my own personal bike my thumb knows exactly which buttons to push I'm very fluid on the KTM for or it's there's there's different buttons but to how to make how to you know adjust turn on things turn off things and mostly i'm not doing rider adjust modes it's just you know seeing what my fuel mileage is seeing how hot it is outside stuff like that and you know people want more and more technology in this stuff and then other people want less and less and it's kind of a it's kind of if you're going to have this i i think you need you know you have to take the time to learn it and i just struggled 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 with it so i need to go i now i know how to play with it and i went and set my own user mode and i managed to turn the abs off which was another big big issue because sometimes when the traction all of a sudden came on and the bike lunged forward and i'm like i need to use the brakes real quick (laughs) and it decided it was going to use the brakes intermittently like abs uh 
So, yeah, that's a that's a tricky uh, a tricky one. Um, so I need to go back and give that uh, bike another shot. But boy, it has a lot of power. It's not a, it's not a lightweight bike. It's not a seven hundred or seven ninety or anything. That's for sure. So, um, you want to ride that bike, Logan? Honda? No. Who said no? Say no. <laughs> Why did you tell him to say no? Yes. Pretty heavy. <laughs> you think you can I'll ride it? I'll try it. You'll try it. <laughs> you think you can ride it? You can't. You can't pick it up. No. <laughs> hey, I've got a guy is sending me a power up kit for the 390, the KTM 390. So, um, yeah, we can uh, we can power that thing up a little bit. I, I'd like to get the foot pegs more leveled up. And that brings me to another question that somebody on our YouTube channel asked. Uh, he said um, he he watched our other podcast, our last one, and he said. I'd really like to know if the pivot pegs will fit fix the cockpit issue on the uh, KTM 390. Uh, pivot pegs, you're aware of those things? Um, so, I, you know, uh, good or bad is not for me to decide. I would just tell you they're absolutely 100% not for me because I feel like I'm falling off the motorcycle when I'm on a pivot peg. Uh, so I suspect for someone, it's hard for me to stand up on a pivot peg because I, all of a sudden I no longer have a reference on where zero is, you know, cause the pegs are, it's like I'm on a, you know, like seasick, like on a boat. And then they, the fact that they move independently and, and that's how I put all my control inputs into the boat, into the bike. And sometimes I'm pivoting on the front of the peg or sometimes I'm pivoting on the rear. So instead of the input going to the bike, I actually start losing my balance. So. Uh, for some people, that might work, but for me, I, I know it absolutely uh, wouldn't work. So, um, yeah. Uh, Vince C. Uh, watched our KTM 350 video, and he said, Thanks. Audio is awful, though. Can you imagine that? <laughs> is, you think he's an audio engineer? If he is, he can help us. That's what I always say, yeah. <laughs> Actually, if you think if you think our audio is bad, you should listen to the last two episodes of Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. <laughs> we didn't use our good mics; it was bad. We need to we need to work on that. Um, B Barnes uh, is watching our Yamaha Tenere T7 test ride, and he says, "I'd love to know your thoughts on comparing it to your KTM 950 Adventure." I think I read some things a time ago that you've had one for quite a while and a lot of miles on it. That is true. Seems like Yamaha's intention is to fill the slot that a more elaborate, heavy, expensive KTM 1090, 1190, 1290 left behind. Uh, I agree with you, uh, B. Barnes. Almost. It, it's funny because if I were to compare the KTM uh, or the... If I were to compare the Tenere to any current adventure bike, the one it resembles and reminds me of the most is the KTM 950. And actually, the 990 Baja would be the one because that came kind of without ABS and it was pretty it was pretty simplified. And it was when KTM really kind of refined it. But it feels like a lightweight one of those with um, similar power levels, but smoother definitely smoother on the bottom and uh, better drivability so that's uh that's that one uh kelsey says on our uh, 300 uh, ktm 
XCW full test. The only 300 I've ridden is a KTM 300 MXC. I thought the power was perfect on that bike. I've been wanting a 300 since that day. Well, if you rode a KTM 300 MXC, that's uh, how long ago? 10 years ago, maybe? It's It's been a while since they've had an MXC. Uh, it would blow you away by how much better the new KTM 300 is. I mean, the fact that it's fuel injection means all the jetting issues uh, were gone from back in the day. They uh, just, it's, uh, it probably feel 50 pounds lighter, feel like it has a third more horsepower and better drivability and traction everywhere. Um, let's see. I got one on the, um, KTM 390 RC says, this is the single best review I've seen for this bike. So incredibly thorough and done by real dirt riders and real off-road conditions. Thank you. Were you one of those real dirt riders, Logan? I don't think so. You didn't ride the KTM 390? Oh, I did. Yeah. Then you're one of the real dirt riders this guy's complimenting. You should give yourself a pat on the back. Yeah. yeah good job. <laughs> uh, let's see. Oh, there's a lot of people uh, talk nice things about it. Brilliant, brilliant, no nonsense. Review as, review as an ex-GSA owner looking for a different options before I get back on a Beamer. This is interesting. I wonder what size Beamer he was on to be looking at the KTM 390. <laughs> so, um, Mr. Migraine says, while I'm not planning to learn and start riding motorcycles, until at least two years from now, due to studies, I can see this is already a good bike becoming much better after two or three itinerations. Seems like it will be perfect if they implement a few of your suggestions. Would probably buy it as a novice rider once I get my A2 license. So we have people that aren't riding yet that are planning to ride in two or three years. That's a long time. Checking out our videos. Not too bad. Are you taking pictures? Is that what that flash is? I saw. Did you see a flash? Oh, yeah, I saw flashes. Maybe oh, it just maybe I'm going cuckoo. Uh, and loud or nothing says, listen to this one, Logan. He says, "LOL, this dude wants to sell KTM so bad." Is that me? Sort of. Give me that read right over there. Just for you, Mr. LOL Loud or Nothing. Powered by a distinct ready race mentality, KTM is the world's leading high-performance street and off-road sport motorcycle manufacturer with North American headquarters based in Murrieta, California. Over the years, KTM built, has built a reputation as a fierce competitor on racetracks around the world, and the brand's remarkable global success is reflected in every product it develops and every move it makes, like getting me to be the dude that wants to sell you a KTM. I want to sell you any motorcycle that you want to buy. I mean, I'm not personally going to sell it to you, but I want to see more people on dirt bikes. Yes. Yeah, it's good for it's good for us, it's good for everybody, and the KTM 300 XCW uh, is a pretty good choice for 45% of the people that um, I talk to, I think. Yeah, the KTM 500 EXC is the best choice for everybody, I think. Just because it, it's a big, it's a big catch net. Um, let's see. As you said, 
This is April the Torticat. Are we getting questions on the chat room over there, Logan? You keeping logs of those? Um, only two. Okay. I'm going to keep going down this list here. Uh, April the Torticat says, as you said, this bike has components from the 90s. He's talking about the Yamaha Tenere T7. The biggest problem I have with this bike is it costs 12,000 euro in my country, and that's total nonsense for a bike from the 1990s. I really like the T700, but I will wait for the Aprilia 660 Touring to come out in 2021. Well, I can't speak to your exchange rate. And um, when I say the components from the 1990s, I'm actually saying it as a compliment uh, because they were good components even back then. And they're probably they probably have the capability to perform at a level that will exceed most riders' ability and at the same time keep the price in check and make the bike a little less complex. I don't know how much better it would get from with components from the 2000s, although they're it's really like late 1990s uh, is when these components are from. Yeah, late 1990s, so they're really not that old. Like, how old are you, Logan? I'm 14. When were you born? 2005. So these components are older than you. Yeah. <laughs> uh, Clayton Thomas wants to know where is this trail, and he's he's watching our Yamaha Tenere video. Um, what do I usually tell people when they ask where the trail is? Somewhere out there. Yeah, go find it yourself. <laughs> That's half the adventure, man. If it looked like a good trail, uh, you need to go find it yourself because if I tell you where it's at, you and Ten of your friends will go there, and then you guys will tell ten more friends, and then 100 people go in there, and then the trail gets beat up, and you didn't have to do anything but ask somebody to tell you where something was. And the good stuff is getting harder and harder to find, and I intend to keep it that way. So when you ask me where my tr videos and stuff are shot, I'm going to tell you, go find it yourself. So um, that's just being nice to the land. Um so what's the next question on the form there? Um, Justin Bradley, did I miss all the KX450 XC discussion? Yes, uh, evidently you did. <laughs> Sorry about that. Um, how do, how do you, so you just chimed into this podcast or it doesn't matter where you watched it, uh, found it, where you are. If you're listening to it now, you go, how can I find more of this? If you really want to, if you want to watch us, that's your own problem. But if you want to listen to it, um, we're going to start as soon as I sit still for a few days. We're going to start putting up a lot of the other the other episodes, one to thirty, and then uh, fifty to sixty. It'll be fifty to seventy now by the time I get to it. I guess um, we're going to put those up on SoundCloud, which means they'll be on iTunes and SoundCloud and all those platforms. You can uh, listen to them there. Uh, it makes it a lot easier to watch. You can watch this on YouTube, on Dirt Bike Test Channel. You can watch it live every Tuesday night on Facebook. Uh, every once in a while, uh, Mark comes in and puts it live on Instagram, but then it disappears in a little while, and then that's why Logan says he can't find it. So um, well, what, what, is, uh, what does he want to know about the KX450 XC? Does he, do he have a specific question? Maybe we can get at it? No. Okay. That's all he said. What's our next... Question. George said, 
Jimmy, I'll mail you some set of pivot pegs <laughs> from my 1190. You can weld them in place for the 390. Sorry I didn't think of that earlier. Hey, that's a great idea because we want to get flat pegs, and I've reached out to a few different people that were talking about making them, want to make It's not as easy because that bike is so unique. It's not as easy as you would think because it has a different width uh, um the pin not the the pin diameter is the same as the other ones but the the thickness of the the part that rides in the foot peg bracket is a little bit different the foot peg dra- uh, bracket is its own unique thing so it's a lot oh. a lot harder than uh, a lot harder than we would have thought um is that it on the on yep. the form there uh what type of camera is that on your helmet is there external external power supply so he's talking about my tour of idaho video and i was actually on that one i used contour uh helmet cams which was a really good company that i thought actually made stuff that was better than gopro and because they weren't as good at marketing they uh sort of went away but i still use them on occasion um they're just easy to work uh they had a they had a a big switch to turn them on and off and uh so i use that but we've lately been using a, a gopro hero 7 uh for a lot of our stuff the image stabilization on that is really good the sound is uh mediocre and then we've also some of our other videos with bad uh audio quality is a a sony helmet cam or it's a sony action cam that we've mounted to the helmet and we've put an external microphone on and we are still playing with that to the best of our ability because um, we ride dirt bikes and we're not sound engineers. You should maybe be a sound engineer, Logan. You go to school and do that. You don't say much, so you listen. <laughs> that would make you a good sound engineer. <laughs> uh, okay, here we go. Uh, Terry Monks asks. As a new rider, a dad with kids, and looking for a bike to go off trails and do easy sections, maybe even pop a tent down for the night, this is literally the perfect bike for me. The KTM 390 has nailed the audience in this one. Adventure bikes are neither are either enormous or low spec, and this is a good mix at a very good price point. What do you think? Yeah. Okay. Yep. Do you want to just go take it and pop a tent down? <laughs> I'd rather the 250, the, yeah, the Honda. Honda. Yeah. I think I think especially when you start going more and more off-road, that's, yes. that's what that bike, you know, it, it's a little bit more like a dirt bike. And the KTM, I think, is a little bit more like a adventure bike. Yes. So the more the more miles you're actually going to log, I I would be a little hesitant to take the KTM on single track trail where the Honda it, it wouldn't even it wouldn't even phase me. Yes. For the most part. So uh, what other what other notes did I have here to talk about tonight? I told my uh, oh we got to pick a winner in our climb uh, show us your junk backpack challenge. Did you watch all those videos? No. I'm getting. I'm thinking Logan's not being a very good participant here. We need. We need to. Do we need to have like a, a, a an hour a day where you need to focus on your uh, dirt bike test duties? Something. Yeah, some structure in this program. Yeah. Did he ever wash his bike? Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah bikes washed. I was a little worried about that one. Yeah. Hey, do you know that uh, Taddy Blazuziak joined Gas Gas? Did you know that? No. no. Well, here's here's the interesting thing about that. Yeah. 
So Taddy Blazusiak, uh, he's he's a uh, he's won Erzberg uh, uh, multiple yeah. times, enduro cross champion, uh, guys legend. He actually started. He showed up to Erzberg the first year when he was going to race it. He was a trials champion. Uh, I think national. I don't think he was. I don't know how he did in the world trials, but he, he was. He was a gas gas factory rider for for the trials thing. Showed up on a clapped out gas gas dirt bike and was going to win basically was going to win (laughs) the Erzberg on a gas gas and KTM slid a bike underneath him uh did he do it the first time on the gas gas no he he wasn't because I was you know do you know that I was a factory gas gas rider at Erzberg yeah the two times I finished Erzberg uh here let me pound my chest was on a gas gas in fact it was on the exact same bike because yeah, that's what a factory gas gas guy because they did they take your bike that finished and well it only finished with like one gear left in the transmission but they probably threw it in the closet and then the week before the next year when i came back they pulled it back out and put a new transmission in it and said oh here's your bike <laughs> it worked last year <laughs> so i rode for i rode for uh i rode on the 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 same team as uh uh manny lettenbetzler's dad uh who's KTM's uh, extreme enduro guy. Uh, so, um, yeah, uh, back to, so Taddy, uh, was a gas gas guy. So they brought him back to the brand. Now that KTM, uh, owns it, they slid, slid a gas gas underneath him. Here's the interesting thing. He's going to be riding a gas gas. Uh, is it EC? I, I think they, I think they kept the same, the same numbers, an EC 300 two stroke, and an EC350 four-stroke. So what do you think the first gas gas models we will see over here yeah. in the U.S. besides the trials bikes? Yeah. It's just kind of a, just kind of a guess what's coming. Yeah. yeah there'll, there'll, be, there'll be some gas gases coming. That's the bigger news in that, in that particular story. Who, who's that? Glenn oh, yeah, racing the GPs on it. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that was a, you know, that, that, so he's doing the 450, it's a whatever I, I imagine they call it. What do they call? What do they used to call the gas gas motocross bikes? Work work. Huh? <laughs> work work. Work work. <laughs> they didn't have motocross bikes. They never really were a motocross brand at all. Um, and then Lia Saints rode a gas gas in the Dakar Rally, but I don't think you're going to really see um, something like that. Um, so you know what you missed riding yesterday? Rocks. Rocks, yeah, we rode on some rocks, yeah, through through cactus, dust, yeah. heat, sand, on a YZ125X and the uh, Yamaha WR250 uh, 250 F. Mm. So, which is pretty cool. Um, we've got that bike now, and we're waiting to get like the the competition. The competition ECU for it, so we can play with that tuner, and mm-hmm. then you can build some maps for me, right? You're a pro at that. No. <laughs> no. No. Why haven't you learned how to do that yet? You got a you got a YZ250 in the garage. Yes. Yeah, you made maps for that, right? Or did you just copy mine? No, you copy Travis Preston's maps. You just uh, downloaded them off the internet. Yeah. And they're good. I didn't like those. Oh. Good. Well, we have something in common. <laughs> I don't like any of Travis's maps. It's like if you could make a map wrong for me, he makes it. 
but that doesn't mean they're not good. They're just not good for me. I actually, yeah. actually, I know a lot of people, the way that they ride, they really like, uh, the way that his maps respond. And, and I think, I think we just turn the throttle a little bit differently, meaning him more and, uh, me less. <laughs> so, uh, any other stuff? George wants you to call Chris real. He does. Does Chris real want me to call him? <laughs> I don't know. Oh, we got it. Cause we got to ask him about the gas. So uh, go search uh, if you're if you're sitting around your computers right now. Go search hashtag um, show climb your junk, and I promise you you will learn something about the uh, you'll learn something about what to pack in your uh, rider toolkit. Because a lot of people ask me uh, what I um, carry in mine, and I did a video, so it's up there also. But there's some of uh, of the readers and stuff. Uh, did they, let's just cold call. We'll just cold call Chris right now and see if we can, uh, put him on the show. This is, this is how we do it here at Dirt Bike Test. Just, <laughs> he's probably eating dinner. <laughs> he's probably had enough of a dirt bike test. I'd actually texted him, asked him if I could call and I'll put him, I'll put him through on the, on the machine here in a second if he actually answers, but it looks like he's just like, no, no, I don't want to answer that phone. <laughs> Yep. Yes, you did. Okay. Area code. Okay. It's good because he just he just called. Hey, hey, Chris, you just called me back. Yeah, I did. Okay, I'm gonna plug you into the the voice matron here. Hold on one second. And uh, can you hear it, Chris? To hear us now. I can hear you. Good. You're live on Tech Talk Taco Tuesday. As our resident um, oil and petroleum expert, I wanted to ask you uh, one simple question. What's the best oil? Whichever one's paying <laughs> me the most today. <laughs> yeah, there's there's a no, – we, we don't have any of that. Oh, we will take an oil sponsor though. Um, so – so we, I, um, have been, George, a few other people have been noticing a lot of people are having, uh, the problems that you outlined right when this COVID thing uh, came about with, uh, 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 intermittent strange running problems, uh, just funny, lots of funny stuff happened that seems to go along the fuel delivery, uh, route. Um, how long are we going to be suffering with this? Until we burn up the old gas. And so my guess is we will use up the the winter blended fuels sometime around September just before it changes again. <laughs> so so we'll we'll get done with the uh we'll get done with it and go right back to it. Pretty much. Yeah, so uh, that and you're, you're generally pretty accurate in the uh, estimation of that stuff in the past. I did I tell you that we had a little fuel boiling, a couple of little fuel boiling incidents. Well, Jimmy, knowing how where you ride, and how you ride, it it wouldn't surprise me a bit. But you didn't tell me the story. But I I do know that lots of guys are having fuel related issues and. And we're just gonna have to deal with it for a little while, you know. Yeah. So, so the my uh, my story. It wasn't actually me. The the one that it really affected was Heather. Heather was riding the new Tenere, and we were coming across Nevada. And when it got about 109 degrees, and she had 
yeah, maybe fumes or a little bit more than fumes in the tank at about a mile from the gas station. We were really stretching it out. The bike just <laughs> and and stopped running and uh, and it but it, it it basically according to my calculations it was probably about a half a gallon left in there, but it wasn't really it was like more like um, it was boiling. <laughs> yeah, it was it, it it wasn't stable liquid. No, no, and fuel pumps don't like that. No, lean the bike on the side, empty your Camelback on it. It'll cool down. You'll go to the gas station. You'll fill up, and life is groovy. Oh, you you thought I had water in the Camelback to cool the well, bike down? Well, in that case, park the bike under a tree, finish whatever beverage you might have. <laughs> call, let the bike cool down. It's all good. No, I I just I I went back, rode behind her, put my foot out, and pushed her to the gas station with my foot on the muffler. It worked out. It worked out just uh, just fine. And if this isn't an official endorsement. Um, you can take the fuel cap off, and that'll allow a lot of the heat to dissipate pretty quickly. you got to do it carefully, uh, but then the gas will turn back liquid and quit boiling so rapidly. So the, it, 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 it boils easier under pressure? No. No. No, it, 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 it's just the opposite. Under pressure, it, it has a slightly higher boiling point. The challenge is... is all the hot, you know, um, air that's in the tank has no place to go, so we let that out. Right. That that makes you know. It's funny because when even when I opened up my tank at that time, when we got to the gas station, it like you open it up, it went poof, and it like like literally, you know, when you unlocked it, it literally blew the lid up. And um, but and that's real dangerous. Uh, I did a video for the U.S. government on fuel geysering you can search it on youtube and and chainsaws will shoot a rooster tail <laughs> a, a geyser of fuel to the ceiling yeah and, yeah and so yeah yeah it's it, it's under pressure and it's under quite a lot of pressure so another thing i've i've seen happen on um on dirt bikes is um I've seen that the enough pressure when the fuel starts boiling, I've seen it actually been able to go up and some of the some of the fuel caps have like one way valves and little balls inside of them. Yep. And it, it, it actually blows those things up and shuts them off as if the bike had tipped over on its side so it doesn't spill and it causes those to plug and then you know you wonder why your fuel tank starts actually most people go, God, my radiator shroud looks kind of funny because it's actually bulging off and doing weird weird things and then you go yeah that the fuel is boiling the fuel is boiling and when you know you know when when you start saying we got a i don't know a, a hundred degree day you got to remember that the you know the radiant heat coming off the roads 140 or above and your gas tank is hugging your your exhaust pipe and Fuel boil fuel boils at around 110 degrees, 105 degrees, depending upon elevation and where you are and the type of fuel. So you've got a you've got a a percolating it, uh, system. It doesn't it doesn't take much. Yeah, it was 109 degrees uh, when we were coming down into Vegas when uh, Heather's Heather's bike. And like I said, no, probably not really a fault of the bike or in any way, shape, or form because. I think it was just getting low, and there was, you know, there wasn't enough to keep it cool. The the other thing we've noticed, specific, specific to a lot of the dirt bikes and stuff, is starting. Is they've been real intermittent with starting. Yeah, and that's 
you know, th- you know, that's that's just a condition of, of the fuel. Um, and, you know, I, I know that 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 Heather's, you know, pretty aggressive on the throttle, but she's, you know, you know, a midweight person. And so her fuel economy is going to change significantly. So, you know, if you're if she's used to on the Tenere getting, you know, a, a certain fuel mileage number, um, she may still get that, but you get on the same motorcycle and you're a little more aggressive and you know, a little bit more mass. Uh, you know, I'm seeing fuel economy change by like 20% swing. I, I, it's funny you bring that up because that's, it was, it was funny when we went from, we went from the higher elevations or it was cooler down to lower elevations. We also started doing like more on road where we were kind of pushing it, you know, so we were using the horsepower and, and we did see a pretty big drop off and we were kind of surprised by, you know, when you're only dealing with, you know, four or five gallons and you started budgeting it out. It's like we budgeted 240 miles and when we ran out at 198, it was like, yep. whoa. Yeah. That didn't yep. see, didn't see that coming. And, uh, so, but, uh, no, and that, and, you know, and that's, you know, you know, you're the, the bike is good. You guys are good. You, 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 you just have a, a fuel challenge that we'll all get through. Um, but it's something you really have to, you really have to be aware of because you, know, you get used to being able to go a certain distance on a tank of fuel. And when that changes by 20 to 30%, that's a, yeah, that's a lot. That, that is a lot. Does, does, well, can additives help this? No, no. Okay. That's a good question. Uh, and a straight answer. The other thing is, uh, if uh, it was the additives and there was one other thing I was going to ask and now I'm, what was I going to ask, Logan? You're supposed to read minds here too, by the way. <laughs> um, so additives, additives can't change. Uh, non-ethanol fuel, does that make any difference? Well, a, a very minute amount. And it really depends upon the fuel and, and the, the properties of of the fuel. You got to remember though that that you know the, the the fuel specifications you know vary from region to region and many of them are you know federally mandated so so um you know to, to back up just a little bit you know the ethanol versus non-ethanol you know i i'm not a fan of ethanol just because of its side baggage and and some other things but you know i'd rather use ethanol based fuels and walk yeah. <laughs> um, and and then you know when we when we back up you know to, to answer your questions about additives re- remember that we're dealing with the actual density and vapor pressure and boiling point of the fuel so adding a couple ounces of something in there it, it's it's not going to change it um what about mixing it like 50 50 with race fuel well you know n- Depending upon depending upon the race fuel, they have different specifications. They're usually pretty stable. Um, so yeah, that that that's that's certainly an, an option. Um, and 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 the other thing that's really an option is to is to try to if you if you run on the top half of the tank or you you'll have more than a third of a tank of fuel in there, most people will never know. 
Yeah, I tend I tend to agree with that. But I've, any times I've had fuel boiling, and remember, I ride a Husaberg 570, and uh, that that bike it it magically wrapped the the tank around the motor and everything else, including the hot shock and the uh, exhaust pipe. And a lot of it was carried like down and low. And you know how much power that bike makes? And what does power equal, Chris? You know this. Oh, oh it's it 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 it's huge. I, you know, <laughs> I, I've ridden the the 570s. You know, I mean, the first ones in the country. And and you know, I you know. So so that 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 bike can boil fuel. I mean, as well as rip tires right off the wheel. But uh, yeah. um. Uh, so I had a lot of gas boiling incidents on that bike and, you know, it, it, it's, you know, I, it, I guess it is an issue. Um, and the, the big question for everybody though, is, is, does the winter blend, uh, reduce power in my motorcycle? Well, it's less dense. And so, you know, you can, you, you can, uh, take that or, or leave it basically as it expands, it doesn't have the same amount of energy it doesn't have the same amount of thrust on the piston and so the answer to your question is it's less efficient okay because and but it's it, it's 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 in reality it's you know, you'd really you'd really have to be a human dyno to be able to tell because we have a compensating device that's attached to our arm on the right side right yeah Mine, mine has one position on it. It's called wide open. That so you know I'm always worried about the dyno numbers. That's what it, that's what really affects me around here. Because if it, if I'm losing any power, I'm gonna go find out where I can buy um, some summer gas. Yeah, so, <laughs> it's kind of so, kind of yeah, like I mean, this kind of like the summer beers I go for about this time of year. Yeah, <laughs> uh, you know, it, you know, if, if you have cool, you know, high octane, super stable fuel on a on a cool day versus crappy gas on a hot day you know the you know the better gas on a cool day is going to give you more power it's it's just thermodynamics it's, yeah it, it's just expansion between the cylinder head and the top of the piston so so heat insulation on the bottom and the sides of the fuel tank and wrapping the fuel lines with the insulation this stuff will help absolutely yep. you know we you know when when i was doing the enduro cross stuff you know we never filled the fuel tank um why why carry the extra weight so you know the the aluminum foil or a tank bag uh to insulate the bottom of the fuel tank it's it's money it's it's absolutely absolutely worth doing there you go that's your that's your uh that's your way to avoid this so for the next till september um yeah. if you're <laughs> and, and remember the, the the fuel injected bikes you know, you, most of the time, the 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 fuel pump is is inside the the gas tank, and there it's it's you know the gas tank, you know on the four strokes you know cocoons the cylinder head, and and so the you know the the fuel pump acts as a perfect heat sink to to bring temperature into the gas tank, which is you know is a challenge, and so. <laughs> So putting, you know, putting, you know, three layers of aluminum foil on the, you know, of, of the aluminum tape on, on the tank is a, is an inexpensive, quick Home Depot fix, which is beneficial. And, you know, of course, a, a tank bag, you know, sometimes they fit all the bikes and sometimes they don't. So, you know, the, the aluminum foil on the bottom of the, the, the tank is, uh, is, a uh, an option. Yeah. It's it's an option, and especially where you have the tank, 
maybe you have an oversized tank and it kind of hangs down even lower <laughs> even lower yeah. and you get the, the exhaust you know head pipe coming pretty close but you don't have to do the whole bottom of the tank you just do where the heat's gonna be yep yeah awesome well and if you're on and I use the aluminum tape, but when I'm trying to impress my friends, I, I paint it gold so it looks like that. <laughs> oh man, that's that's cheap. Logan, Logan, sitting there going, "I know how to." You know how you make some money, Logan? You go buy the gold spray paint and the cheap aluminum tank, and then you start selling it on uh, on uh, on the the Amazons. You know the the lower cost. Just cut it in half because you're going to make a fortune on that. So. <laughs> Well, hey, thanks for uh, dodging the oil question, Chris. I appreciate that because now, now I don't know which is the most horsepower oil. But other than that, I'm going to just. Uh, <laughs> well, I can tell you which one's the, the the biggest horsepower oil. But you know, when you when you you, you got to remember that you got to have you know viscosity and 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 then oil pressure. And we had this discussion when I was fortunate enough to be on on the show it's yeah like just uh, if you're if you want to look at that just search uh, tech talk taco tuesday and chris real and i'm sure that episode will pop up especially on youtube i know it will and um and on the podcasts as well um there's some really good information there and uh, chris i always thank you for uh coming on and uh being kind of the voice of reason because i just i just ride them you know what i say well <laughs> you know i mean so, some of the guys you know like like yeah, young Logan there, you know, I mean, he's got all the potential and he's got enthusiasm. And if he can, if he can absorb some of the, you know, the, you know, the knowledge and stuff that we're willing to give him, um, he can, he can be the next expert while you and I fade into the, you know, fade into the sunset and drink um, more really good tequila. Right. I'm trying to work on that. I really am. So, uh, okay, Chris, well with on that, one of our TV monitors just, uh, bit the bullet here and, uh, Logan looks like it's past his bedtime. He wants to take a uh, grand Prix motor grand Prix motocross, uh, book with him to do a little, uh, learning and we will, uh, we'll catch you in the future, Chris. Okay. Everybody have a good evening. Okay. Be safe. Thanks a lot. Hey everybody, that was Chris Real. He is from DPS Technical, and uh, he does uh, petroleum science, real science. That guy does. Actually, he's really good for off-road off uh, advocacy. And uh, of course, uh, George just uh, posted up some stuff on our chat room. So if you want to get a little more engaged in the show, you can always join in, ask questions live in the chat room, uh, post them in the links when we get these YouTube videos uploaded. I think we've done most of our reads, but i definitely like to thank, again, uh, Recluse, Climb, uh, Taco Moto helps us out, DDC. Um, there's a lot of companies that uh, kind of keep the wind in the sails here at Dirt Bike Test, and... Uh, we're only we only got bigger and better things to announce in the very near future so uh if you are in the marketing department of some company keep a couple extra bucks in your budget because uh we got some cool stuff happening here so with that what do we say logan see you out on the trails okay cheers guys see ya What's up, Moto Buddies? Mike here from Taco Moto Co. What is the Taco Touch? It's the best service in the industry. Virtually 24-7 tech support via email or text, and it's like having a dirt bike doctor 
on call every day of the year, helping you fix your bike or recommend parts or setups for you. If you've ever received an order from us, you know that the Taco Touch extends to our fulfillment and our orders come with the coolest stickers that you've ever had, uh, buying parts from anybody before, and a handful of root beer barrel candies. Um, all of our Taco Moto Co. branded components come with a no questions asked lifetime warranty, and we'll even extend out the warranty of other manufacturers, OEM, and aftermarket parts where we can, sometimes for life. We test and tune endlessly and exhaustively and obsessively. We're trying to destroy everything that we can before you get your hands on it to look for weaknesses and to improve it or to make recommendations to the manufacturer. And if it's something that doesn't uh, meet grade, then we don't offer it on the store. Everything that we carry is something that we have personally used, tested, and ridden, and raced, and knows meets uh, the high taco touch demanding standard. Go out and get some adventure.